Well, it's good to be with you again and to share in the ministry with uh, Stuart. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 20 for a couple of verses and then into 1 Timothy again, please. So just by way of connection, Acts chapter 20. And we'll read verse 17. And from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And then over to verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also... Of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch. Then over to 1 Timothy in chapter 3, please. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And that will do for a reading. And we trust the Lord will bless our meditation on this subject over these next few sessions. My subject uh, that I'm going to be dealing with over these three sessions is fairly narrow in focus, yet is extremely significant. And I want to speak about the subject of elders and in case you think that it's inappropriate for me to speak to you about that, I am also an elder and I'm speaking to those who are elders, but really the burden of what I want to do is to speak to those who are not elders in the audience. And particularly in relation in this session to this first verse of First Timothy chapter 3, that this is a true saying, if any man desire the office or the work of an elder, of an overseer, he desires a good work. When we think about this subject, I want to think about it not really in an academic way, although we will look at what the scripture teaches on it, but rather I want to think about it very much as a challenge. And in this session particularly, a challenge Not just to, but in particular to young men and younger men. And to bring the challenge of this verse to bear upon you. If any man desires this work, this role, this function, this service, then he desires a good work. Now we'll come back to that. Let's talk about elders in a more general sense in this subject. You could ask the question, is there a single New Testament instruction for the care, for the leadership, for the organisation and administration of a local church? Is there a single instruction? You might want to use the word pattern or whatever. Is there a single instruction? Well, many people would say no. 
There's a man called Donald Miller who wrote this, that any form which the Holy Spirit can inhabit and to which he may impart the life of Christ must be accepted as valid for the church. As all forms of life adapt themselves to their environment, so does the life of Christ by his Spirit in the church. And so he would say the answer to my question is no. There is no single instruction that in whatever form the church finds itself, then Christ will inhabit and it will be fine. I'm suggesting to you, and we trust as we go through this, we'll see that Donald Miller is not correct. That the consistent teaching of the New Testament, not just in the illustrations and examples given to us, but also in the instruction given to us, is that each local church ought to be shepherded, cared for, led by a number of God-ordained elders. And that this is the only instruction in the New Testament in relation to the leadership of a local church. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 says this, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Acts 14 verse 23, when Paul and Barnabas were in Derbe, Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, they appointed elders for them in every church. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, in Paul's first epistle to Timothy, the apostle refers to the elders, plural, who rule well in the assembly at Ephesus. In fact, when you look into the book of Acts, you discover this, that they were elders at the church in Jerusalem in Acts 11 and Acts 15 and Acts 21. And so right through the New Testament, you have this teaching, you have this example, you have this instruction that elders are essential and important for a local church, for the shepherding, for the care, for the instruction, for the administration of that which is most precious To God, the assembly of God's people, God's children. One night to put it this way, that God has ordained leadership as a position of humble, loving service. And those who would lead God's people must exemplify this in purity, sacrifice, diligence and devotion. And we'll come to a lot of that in due course. But note this, that biblically, the local focal point, if you like, of church leadership is the elder and the elders that function amongst his people. They are the people who are charged by God with the teaching, with the feeding and with the protection of his people. And it's them who are accountable to God in a coming day. Another writer said this, And there are lots of colloquial ways I've heard this put, but he put it in this way. The strength, health, productivity and fruitfulness of a church directly reflects the quality of its leadership. That is true. You might have heard that in different ways. No church will rise higher than its elders or leaders and this kind of thing. That is true. Such is the significance of this role amongst the saints. 
Now, this is instruction, as we've been hearing, but we'll hear more from Stuart in relation to the, the, the epistle, as Paul was instructing Timothy. And Paul's the older man, and he's instructing Timothy, and Ephesus, the context, and, and there were elders in the assembly at Ephesus. That's why I read in the book of Acts, this was an established church. And Paul is instructing Timothy in his service amongst the saints And in chapter 3, there is a reminder about the quality and the character that God expects of those who would lead his people. And that character that really should be in all of us should be exemplified, should be easily seen, should be demonstrated in leadership by those whom God has raised up to lead his people. And so we will look at character qualifications, but not in this session. So let's come to chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's come to this verse. And it says, this is a true saying. Now that's almost an indicator of a creed. And five times over in Timothy and Titus, this expression occurs and it always refers to something major. It always refers to something about Christ or the gospel or holiness. It's something big. And he introduces this subject because this is a big subject. This is a vital subject. And he says, listen, this is something that's so significant if any man. Now mark this. The expression is masculine. In fact, every adjective in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 are in the masculine form. This is instruction for males. Now, I know that that is not a popular in society, a popular concept to even begin to go down that road, but that is what the Bible teaches. That here is something that God would have men to do amongst his people. And if any man, any man, desires this service he desires a good work now that word desire twice over in the authorised text it appears as the word desire if any man desire the office of a bishop he desires a good work now you may hold in your hand a different translation maybe a new American or an ESV or something like that or an NIV and it may well translate these two words differently they are different words The first word is to reach out after, to grasp something. It's the idea of going after and pursuing something. It's translated in the ESV as aspire. The second word is more the passionate compulsion that lies behind the reaching after. And the ESV has it desire. So if any man aspires, he is desiring that which is a good work. And so you bring the two words together in the verse and you've got this outward pursuit which is based upon an inner compulsion. And it is a compulsion and a desire and a pursuit of a service for God that is a good work. It is a good work. Now when you think about these words desire the context can determine whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. One writer put it this way, ambition for office corrupts. Desire for service purifies. 
And what he's speaking about here is not the desire to be on the oversight, to use an expression that's so often used. In other words, to sit in meetings and decide who's coming to speak three weeks on Tuesday, as it usually is. It isn't that you get to have a voice in big decisions that you think are important in relation to the building. This is not that you have an elevated position amongst the saints that you wait for a long time until you get to that stage in life that it's your turn. This is not a management committee nor a board of directors. This is something extremely different from all of that. This is a service for God. Not an office to occupy, not a seat to fill or a name badge to wear. You don't walk about with elder, whatever it is. This is not to be elevated over the saints, but to be recognised by the saints as someone who's labouring amongst them in a certain way for God. This is also, can I suggest to you, a very vital, vital role in an assembly. And there are so many misconceptions about it. If you speak to people who are elders, you'll discover this, that most of the time it's a very unhappy task. Most of the time it's a thankless task. Most of the time you need the wisdom of Solomon. Most of the time it's a burden and not a pleasure. Because it's a task, it's a service, it's a work for God. And it requires a man who has been raised up of God, fitted by God, and a man who has these characteristics that we'll come to tomorrow, to be able to actually, to fulfill such a service for God. But I think that perhaps it's the most undervalued role amongst God's people. And has been for some time. We hear calls to the mission field. And that is good and that is fine. Not to cry in anything like that. And we hear calls to, for, for people to, to feel the call of God in their life. To leave their employment. And to go into uh, full time uh, gospel evangelistic service. And who am I to decry that? But you know, the reality is just this. The people that call God would call to the mission field and the people that God would call to leave their employment are a tiny fraction of the Lord's people. But actually, this work is so significant that do we ever hear, do we ever consider, do we ever actually feel the burden and the call of God upon our lives, young men, to have the ambition to serve God in this way? There is no more significant service amongst the Lord's people, surely, than to serve him in this way. Think about the health. Think about the fruitfulness. Think about the longevity. Think about what God is doing in your own locality and assembly and the need for overseers and for shepherds and for elders. Such a need for young men To desire to serve God in this way. 
He says, if you desire this, Darby says, if anyone aspires to exercise oversight, then you aspire, desire a good work. That's my appeal this afternoon. Someone might feel the burden, the call of God upon their life. And that at a young age, you might determine that if God would lead you this way, then you will be ready. That you will allow the Spirit of God to develop characteristics that will fit you for this service for God. And that if God brings you into a position as you mature as a Christian and God brings you to this place where he would have this service for you to fulfill, that you will be able to do it and that you will be willing to do it. I quite often quote my dad in relation to this. I've done it before. And so many of you know him and he's spoken from here so often. And you maybe heard him tell the story that he, he was accosted, as you sometimes get at the back of the hall, by someone who, who had a question for him. Someone who asked you a question at the back of the hall really actually wants an answer. They usually just want to say the question. Well, this person asked my dad, he, he had a bit of a complaint, and the complaint was just this, that he thought he should be an overseer. And so uh, he asked my dad, you know, how do, how do I go about being an overseer? How, how, how do I become an elder? My dad said, well, just be one. Just go and be one. And he said, no, no, no. But I'm not, you know, I'm not accepted in the oversight. My dad said, well, that's a different question. I mean, he didn't ask, how do I get on the oversight? He asked, how can I be an elder? Well, you, you be an elder and then the saints will recognize you and you'll begin to meet with other elders in the assembly. We'll see that. But you see, the idea is just this, that we need to have the desire to do the work, to fulfill the service. And the recognition for that is not the most important thing. The work is. I think you would agree with me, certainly those who are older, there is a crying need amongst the Lord's people for overseers, for shepherds, for those who have a care for the souls of the saints, for those who will make big decisions and stand by them, for those who will take responsibility and show leadership, for those who will have a tender enough heart to get amongst the saints. that the Lord's people may be cared for and function. Well, when you come to Scripture, the word elder is not the only word, neither is the word overseer. However, there are three main words in our New Testament that speak about this role, this function. We've thought about one there, uh, overseer, bishop in the authorised text. But there is the word elder, and then there is the word overseer, and then there is the word pastor. And the word elder, overseer, and pastor all refer to the same individual within a local church. Now, there are three different words that speak about this. uh, And the word from which we get presbyterian or presbytery is usually rendered elder and would emphasize the maturity of the individual and the dignity of his role amongst the saints. 
And then you have the other word, episcopus, from which we get episcopalian, that word, and that refers more to the function, to the service that is carried out, to oversee. And then you have the word pastor or shepherd, which is used a number of times in the New Testament, and in Ephesians 4 verse 11, it's used with the word teacher, and the Greek construction, I think, would indicate that the two terms come together, you could hyphenate them, pastor, teacher, the emphasis being on him feeding the saints, shepherding the saints, and the connotation being by his teaching. Now, these terms are used interchangeably. For example, in Acts chapter 70, as I've read, it says this, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. So he sends a message to Ephesus and he calls the group who understood who was being referred to, he calls the elders. Now, the whole church doesn't come. And all the men of the church don't come. There is a a group within that church that's identified by this term, the elders, and they come. They know who they are. And then as he addresses them, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. There's the second word. To feed the church of God. There's the third word. So the elders come... And he speaks to them about their overseeing and their pastoring, if you like, of the assembly. You get this again in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The elders which are among you, I exhort to am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So you get elders. Feed the flock of God which is among you, pastor, feed taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So there you have the three words again referring to the same people. So an elder is an overseer and is a pastor, is a shepherd. They are different words referring to the same person and describing different aspects of the individual and their function. Now sometimes we get a wee bit confused about that. But what about this word elder? Let's dig into that a wee bit. Because this word elder, it it appears in the Old Testament. Now you don't get a local church in the Old Testament, but you do get the word elder. And in fact, the primary word for elder is used in Numbers 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 27 to refer to these 70 tribal leaders who assisted Moses. So you have the nation of Israel, you have Moses, and then you have these 70 It's interesting, even before that, Moses communicated through a group of men who were called elders. Exodus 19. And they were instructed to lead the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Later on, actually, in 1 Samuel 11 and chapter 16, the elders are specifically involved in the leadership and administration of the cities. So the Jewish mind understood something about an elder. It was a familiar expression to them. When you come to the New Testament in general, the New Testament uses the word elder really to speak about age. Now, Stuart's tried to tell you that I'm a bit older than him. That's obviously not the case. But uh, maybe a wee bit older than him. 
For elders in the New Testament, the word would indicate age. Let me try and show that to you. For example, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, uh, 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 Joel, the Old Testament quote from chapter 2 and verse 28 of the book of Joel says that your old men will dream dreams. There's a connection. So uh, the, the idea of old, the Hebrew word for old that's employed in the Old Testament, when that is quoted in the New Testament, it is the word elder, presbyterus. So it's to do with old age, the use of the word. Now it's used in that sense frequently about male and female in the New Testament. And it indicates age. However, when you come to the Gospels, in the specific context of the Gospels, at the time of Christ, there were elders. 28 times in the New Testament, it refers to a specific group of spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel. The chief priests and the elders is a familiar expression. The teachers of the law and the elders. The officers of the temple guard and the elders. You come into the book of Acts. The rulers and the elders of the people. So there seemed to be this body, perhaps the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling body in Jerusalem, perhaps. And then you come into the New Testament relation to the church. So in the Old Testament, the idea of an elder was familiar. In the Gospels, amongst the nation of Israel, the idea of an elder and a group of men was a familiar idea. And when you come into the New Testament teaching in relation to the local church, this word appears again. It's interesting that it's the only Jewish term for leadership that's separate from priesthood and monarchy. It's not connected to either of them, which is important. Because monarchy is not, is not applicable in the New Testament church, and neither is there a, a restricted priesthood in the New Testament church either. So this word elder is not connected with both of them, and 20 times in the book of the Acts and the Epistles, it refers to a unique group of male leaders in a local church. The church at Antioch, for example, sent Barnabas and Saul to the elders at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 14, appointing elders for church leadership. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in, in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. In fact, nearly every church that we know of in the New Testament is specifically said to have elders. And Peter writes to the whole area of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and says to the elders among you, now these were territories, not individual places. So you have this idea of elders. Then you have the word overseer. So the elders are a distinct group and they're characterised by maturity. The concept to the Jewish mind was very familiar. So the word's often used in the book of the Acts. The word overseer is only used once in the book of the Acts. But in the epistles, it's used quite often. And so what happens is you have this change from a Jewish cultural base for the, the, the spread of the church into a more Greek context, and you have the, the change in emphasis in the word. In fact, the New Testament uses this idea of overseership five times, once of the Lord Jesus Christ, the other four times in relation to leaders in the local church. And what about the overseer in the New Testament church? Well, you have this idea of function. 
to oversee. We're going to speak about that tomorrow in some detail. The idea of being aware and being responsible for what is going on in the lives of the Lord's people and as we function together corporately. Elders. I don't know what you think about your elders. Maybe just as well. But the likelihood is that you have different thoughts about your elders. We're going to see again tomorrow that the Bible has a lot to say. In fact, I would suggest more to say about our responsibility to our elders than our elders' responsibility to us. Very often when we hear about elders, then rightly so, we go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 uh, and we would uh, examine the character of our elders in relation to Scripture. And obviously it's in Scripture for a reason. But I wonder if we're so willing to examine our character in relation to the leadership of our elders. And our commitment to them, as well as their commitment to us. And our openness to them, as well as their interest in us. You see, like in all relationships, just to look at one side of a relationship gives you a false picture, doesn't it? In all relationships, there is a responsibility for both people, if you like, in relationship to be committed to that relationship. And when one is not, it begins to break down. For example, you know, elders are often said, well, they never visit. And some say, well, I'm glad they don't visit. I don't want them to visit. Imagine that pair turning up in your door, ruin your night, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then uh, some people will say to you, you know, you know you're failing in your responsibility as elders. You know, you, you've not been visiting. You say, okay, well, when are you free for a visit? Well, I don't need a visit. It's not me that needs a visit. It's other people in the assembly need a visit. And what happens is just this, that there is a, there is a lack of commitment to the leadership of elders, which inhibits them in their function and discourages them. And obviously, on the other side, there can be a lack of commitment by elders to the flock and a lack of interest in it. And so when we think about this idea of overseers, they are those who have a responsibility for, those who have a care for, those who stand back and observe what is happening to have the big picture. Sometimes, again, we very much operate within the confines of our own opinion and our own perspective, and we think things should happen and things shouldn't happen, and we don't just step back and see the whole picture. How something can affect someone else and needs to be taken, and the whole picture needs taken into account. Overseers. Well, again, just to deal with the kind of generality of, of what the Bible speaks about this in relation to a local church then, if there are to be elders and if there are to be male elders, then how many of them? How many? 
Well, it's interesting that um, when you go to the book of James, James instructs his readers that in specific circumstances toward the end of the, cha- end of the book in chapter 5, that they are to call when they are sick. They are to call for the elders of the church, plural. And these elders are to pray for those who are sick. In fact, I noted this down, that in every place in the New Testament where the term elder is used, it is plural. Apart from the Apostle John, who uses it of himself in 2nd and 3rd John. And where Peter also in chapter 5 and verse 1 uses it of himself. In every other occasion, it is used in the plural. In the opening greeting of his epistle that he writes to the Philippians, Paul refers to the overseers, plural, and deacons in the church in Philippi. Let's just establish this. Paul warns the elders of the church of Ephesus to be on guard for themselves, plural, and for all the flock over which God had made them overseers, plural. The writer to the Hebrews calls his readers to obey and submit to the leaders, plural, who watch over their souls. So here's a point, that each New Testament church, each local church, ought to be cared for, ought to have a leadership which is not a single individual, but rather a group of elders, a group of overseers who have responsibility for the care and shepherding and leadership of that local assembly, accountable to the Lord Jesus himself. A plurality of elders is usually the expression you read in textbooks. So one will not do. You see the wisdom of God in this. A diverse group of individuals all coming together in their common faith and allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ in a locality. A local church is a wonderful thing. You think about a group of people who in other circumstances would never spend any time with each other have no other common interest from different spheres of society, different outlooks, backgrounds, religious backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, yet drawn together by that drawing magnetic power of Jesus Christ through salvation and the desire to be together in fellowship with each other as they are in fellowship with the same Saviour and Lord and God. It's a marvellous thing. It's a unique thing upon earth, a local church. And such a local church, how could it possibly, with all its diversity, and with all its complications of people, and with all its requirements, how could such a group ever have their needs for leadership and shepherding and care met by any individual? I don't care who they are. So you see the wisdom of God in this. That there would be a diverse group who would be able to minister and serve and lead a diverse group in fellowship. Plurality of elders. But here's another point. With singularity of jurisdiction. If you don't know what the word jurisdiction means, it just means this, they have to mind their own business. 
that when Peter writes, he writes and he says, shepherd the flock of God, singular, which is among you. Paul says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The number of elders is plural, but the jurisdiction is singular. Now, I mentioned, just for transparency, that I am a local elder, an elder in a local church in Bridge of Weir. And that's part of my service for the Lord. And many of you here are the same in your own local assembly. I have absolutely no jurisdiction in your assembly. None. Zero. My voice has no authority at all. My opinion is just that. You see, I, as an elder in the local assembly at Bridge of Weir, I am accountable for the spiritual welfare of these saints, but not the saints that gather in any other locality, any more than I would be for any other Christian in terms of Christian care and and responsibility. And likewise, you have absolutely no jurisdiction in the assembly of Bridge of Weir. None. None. Your opinion is just that. And you will not be giving an account in a coming day for the spiritual welfare of the saints in Bridge of Weir. And I will not be giving an account in a coming day for the spiritual welfare of the saints where you gather. And cross-contamination of jurisdiction in a convoluted way of putting it, is a very destructive thing. And so there are people here in the audience, I'm looking at you, and you come from a neighbouring assembly to Bridge of Weir, and it's a good thing that I have no say in what goes on there, and they have no say in what goes on in Bridge of Weir. And we have a, I think, a good relationship. But you see... It's hard enough and it's a big enough responsibility and it's an onerous enough responsibility to focus upon the work that God has given us to do, never mind trying to do the work that God has given someone else to do. And so singularity is out of jurisdiction, is absolutely vital when you come to the New Testament. Each church is completely responsible in relation to their own leadership of elders who are responsible to the chief shepherd himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the tree, if you like. That's the root of accountability. That's the root of responsibility. And that is no cop-out to be directly responsible to the risen Lord himself. So one more thing. How then do you appoint elders? How do you do it? I read in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now I said at the beginning that I wanted to appeal to the younger men and now is the point in my message where I look some of you younger men straight in the eye.
When does this happen? When does the Holy Spirit make you an overseer? Is this referring to an announcement made to the assembly? Or a process whereby that announcement is arrived at? Absolutely not. That's not what it's referring to. This is not the description in kind of obscure language of of a prescribed process. This is the description of an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the character of a young man. If overseers are those who are serving with certain character, we're going to see that, and that character is expressed in diligent service amongst God's people, this is a work of the Holy Spirit in the shaping and moulding of that individual. The Holy Spirit makes the overseer. It's not that the the Holy Spirit derives some sort, and you can't find it in the Bible, some prescribed process or voting or, 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 or kind of odd type of thing to come up with a name. It's a much more significant thing than that. The Holy Spirit makes overseers because he develops the character necessary for an individual to fulfill the service. And he also implants within that individual the desire to serve God in this way. And so an individual, a young man, when when do you start preparing for being an overseer? The answer to that is a simple one. Right now. Right now. You submit to the Spirit of God in your life right now. And you allow the Spirit of God to begin to mould your character and to shape you. And if God gives you that desire to serve him in this way, you will need to be subject to his word by his spirit so that that flesh will not be an inhibitor. So that these rough edges will be knocked off. That's, by the way, why it says that an elder can't be a novice. The spirit of God needs time to work. He needs to shape us and to form us so that when we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, these features and characteristics are identifiable in this person. Are these natural? No, they're not natural. Was he born with these features? You know, he's a kind of caring, loving person. You know, he wouldn't say boo to a goose. He must be an overseer. He was born like that? Not at all. These are spiritual features. Spiritual features that the Holy Spirit creates within an individual. And when do you start to prepare for the service for God? You start right now. Right now. It means just this, that you determine in your heart that you will lead a holy life. And you will not do something that will disqualify you from service for God in a future day. You will lead a blameless life. You will not go down paths of extremism here, there and everywhere. To alienate and lose integrity amongst his people. 
You will not be known as someone who tells lies and spreads gossip so that no one in a future day will confide in you about anything. You'll be someone whose word is dependable, who when they say something, it sticks. Now that isn't something that happens overnight because we're fleshly and sinful individuals, but the Spirit of God is able to do this and produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we might become the person who can serve God in this way. I tell you this, these are the sort of people that are easily recognisable amongst the saints. Not because they wear a badge or because they attend a meeting, but they are the sort of people who are doing the work and the assembly. By and large, this is true. The the, the saints in the assembly know fine who are the elders amongst them. They know fine. They know who they'll go to to confide in or seek a word of counsel. They know who they'll go to in financial need for help. They know who they'll go to to gain counsel from scripture and instruction for their soul. They know who they will go to to follow their lead. And some of your overseers will be the type of people who easily put their arm around you. Some of the overseers might be the type of people who sit you down at a desk and teach you. Some of the overseers might be the sort of person who can spend time practically working with you, out there doing whatever, uh, and just investing in you. Different people serving different people with this common character. And this is where it goes wrong, that you think you can live the way you want without any investment in the word of God because you don't think you'll be a conference speaker or whatever and you you, you ignore the study of God's word and the instruction in divine truth and you become uninformed. And then you get to an age and the assembly's casting around looking for elders and just because you're of a certain age and just because you come from a certain background, you're the person and you're You're just not the person. You don't know your Bible well enough. You don't know your Lord well enough. You haven't proved him. You haven't become the sort of person that 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 speak about. That's a recipe for disaster. Because then the blind will be leading the blind. And when the blind lead the blind, They fall into a ditch. I think we all can reflect upon people, men that we knew and know, who are godly elders. Just reflect upon them. And you can save a truth whose faith follows. That pattern of life, that honesty, that integrity, that courage, that selflessness. And it may have been taken for granted, perhaps, and as you get a bit older, you don't take it for granted, you reflect upon it. And at the value it was to you as a young Christian. Listen, young men, here's the question. Where are the next group of elders coming from? Where are they coming from? The answer is simple. 
from you. From you. Are you going to be ready? Are you going to desire? And if it be of the Lord, not everyone obviously will be called by God to serve in this way, but will you be ready? The call of God comes upon your life for that most onerous of tasks to lead his people. We're going to see tomorrow the responsibilities, the character, the duties, the work of elders. And we're also going to spend a whole session speaking about our response to them. To support, to pray, to help and to work with those who lead us in our local assemblies. Ask yourself the question, if any man desire the work of an overseer, am I that man? May the Lord bless us. I'd like to thank Stephen for that uh, word and uh, the responsibilities that we all face as Christians and those of us that are elders also face and those of us that are in assemblies face that uh, when they deal with elders and, and how they um, deal with those others in the assembly as well. It's all a challenge. So um, thank him for that uh, word and look forward to his messages tomorrow as well. Now, um, it's ten to five, um, almost time for some food. But before we do that, um, we'll just take time to sing hymn number 206. We'll sing it all the way through. After which, um, after we've sung this, um, uh, Brother Stuart will come up and just give thanks for the food and uh, end this session in a word of prayer. So hymn number 206, O Lord, thy love's unbounded, so sweet, so full, so free, my soul. My soul is all transported whenever I think of thee. Yet, Lord, alas, what weakness within myself I find. No infant's changing pleasure is like my wandering mind. Just standing to sing the whole of hymn 206 after the introduction. Thank you.